Welcome to episode 13 of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Alpha Counseling and Treatment. Alpha Counseling is the largest and most respected provider for justice-involved clients in need of sexual offense-specific treatment services. Alpha is also a JRI-certified agency providing moral recognition therapy and substance use disorder treatment to justice-involved clients. You can be confident that the treatment you will receive with Alpha will help keep you out of the criminal justice system. Alpha clinical professionals are trained and certified in cognitive behavioral interventions for sexual offending. This evidence-based program teaches participants strategies for avoiding sexual offending and related behaviors. The program places a heavy emphasis on skill-building activities to assist with cognitive, social, emotional, and coping skills development. For more information, check out their website today at utahsbesttherapy.com, or you can call them directly at 801-645-5455. This episode is also brought to you by Triple S. Triple S provides scientific outcome measures for clinicians in the field of behavioral health. Outcome measures provide direction for both clients and treatment providers using evidence-based practice. Any program not using outcome measures to track their clients' progress and success has been scientifically proven to be less effective. And lastly, the Gorilla Social Work Podcast is brought to you by Hottyware. Do you like to be left alone when you are working out? Are you sick of people bothering you when you're just trying to get your sweat on? Well, Hottyware is active wear for people who just want to work out without the small talk and all the nonsense. With Hottyware, you can let your apparel do the talking for you. Check them out today on Instagram. they got their page up and running. It's Hottyware, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, Wear, W-E-A-R. Hottyware. All right. Got that out of the way. On the episode today, we have Miss Caitlin Gudicotti is joining us. She is a representative from Brighton Recovery Center. So we had a good conversation with her about a residential treatment setting for substance use disorders. So without further ado, we are going to get into that one. Enjoy. showing your age princess hold on a second you've never seen the princess bride she's 27 okay, I ha- all right 27. the podcast is over i have <laughs> seen the princess bride but never go against a sicilian like, when death is on the line yeah homeboy's a sicilian in that oh is he the guy yeah. that dies that's, one of your that is countrymen a, that is an obscure reference oh. though that's weird that you know that that is weird but yeah. it's, it's okay <laughs> so we'll just stick with ducati ducati's better i, I can say ducati judicati it's Judicati. Yeah, Ducati. So you're a Ducati. Ducati. I think of Ducati, I always think of that, that uh, yeah. Genesis game, Road Rash. <laughs> Remember dude, that? I love that game. I yeah, played that, that like was a couple so months ago. so great, dude. And that's then you so like good. you save up all your money, you win all those races, and then you get into that. What was it? Like a Diablo? Is that was the oh, name yeah. of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it goes like too it, fast. Yeah, and you can't yeah. control the shit. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love all the time you you pull up to someone to kick them. You always like kick the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> kicks the other side. I'm like, yeah, that's really good. Caitlin knows nothing we're talking about Nope. Sega, Sega Genesis was. Uh, I played Sega Genesis, but I played. Uh, I played like Penguin Land and. I didn't know basic, that. What is this? Basic games like that on right. Genesis. Mm. Pen- 
Penguin Land. Penguin Land. What was the objective of that game? It was like a penguin. <laughs> who? who? And, <laughs> and we were... Well, yep. <laughs> what What is the objective of any game? You, it was a penguin, and he was kicking around like a little block of ice. And it was that cute. Really fun. It was, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, but it was you, fun and cute. I mean, do you do anything with a block of ice? Are I you can't trying remember. to like you save do your buddies? With it. You you're do. like trying to build Kick a house like an igloo to stop a no, polar bear. No, you're not building oh, anything. That's awesome. No, you're like it's like a puzzle game. It's like you kick the ice into different Kicking holes it. to try and make Man, the puzzle. That sound like it changed your life. Now that it sounds did. so exciting. Now I it did. Right now. It just clicked that that is where everything. <laughs> Wait, changed. what's it called? Baby penguin. Penguin land. Peng- baby penguin. <laughs> baby <laughs> penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I just love penguin land. Well, what's the purpose of the game? Well, it's a penguin. <laughs> that's all it really was. You're a penguin. You kick around a block of ice. <laughs> yeah. All right, right. Miss Judicati, uh, what is it you do? Why? What do you do? Other than play, why do we have you? Other than play awesome games, like for a living. For a living, what do you do? I work at Brighton Recovery Center. Brighton Recovery Center, and what is it in South Ogden? What is it in Murray? You work at both locations. They actually have four locations. So there's, um, yeah, there's a Brighton Recovery Center. They call the monastery. It's actually a reformed monastery, turned. Drug Rehabilitation Center. Where, where is that? They actually say that one of the rooms is haunted. Is it a haunted monastery? They say only one because one of the nuns was that lived in that particular room. Why does room. it always involve a nun? Because it's a monastery. Well, why would, <laughs> nuns, I thought, nuns I thought that was monks. <laughs> monks. No, no, no. This was a, this was a Catholic... I thought that's a nunnery. Is that not a it's thing? It's a nunnery. They call it the. It's a nunnery, but they is call it, it the monastery. Is that what it's called? I thought you were joking. Oh, is this the place where they make that honey? That amazing honey? That monastery? Yeah, p- penguin honey. I have no <laughs> Penguin honey. <laughs> Baby penguin nun. I have no idea. You know that I've lived in northern Utah for a year. Whoa. Where Not else here. have you lived? I didn't know that. Sis- uh, Sicily. I just barely uh, learned your name. Sicily, yeah. Southern Utah and then California Oh, before that. Where in California? All over. My dad's CHP, so I lived in uh, Temecula, San Diego, Fresno, Sacramento, everywhere. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. I know it's super interesting, but um, then I moved to Utah. That's where all the change happened. And That's, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It is the magic land. You're the second yeah. person that we've interviewed that started stuff in California and then came to Utah and called it home. Right? Weird. Remember how we had Dr. Ha on here? Yeah. I wouldn't live in California, dude. I um, didn't want to leave. I had to. Now, look, people talk a lot of trash on Utah. I genuinely like it here, though. Yeah, I do, too. Well, I do now. It grew on me. You know, like, it was an honest-to-God culture shock. Going from California to St. George, Utah, people weren't super nice to me. What did they think about your green hair? Back then, it was pink. Oh, boy. Has it always been colorful? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I used to do colors in my hair. I'm, I mainly bleached it, though. You have to bleach it out to get, like, the bright colors. I just wanted to look but like a dude. You just did the bleach, like yeah. the tips, the cool guy tips? No, I'd do it all, and then it'd grow out eventually, you know? I'd so, yeah, like it would default into the yeah. tips. <laughs> yeah. Just you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, because yeah. you have a little period there that was kind of growing out. It was the high yeah. school thing. Yeah. It really Dude, was. One, I remember doing that. It yeah. was. I did that we a lot. We were listening to, like, one of the corn CDs, one of their first CDs. Like, Let's bleach and, our hair. And bleaching your hair yeah. at the same time. <laughs> were you, awesome. like, going <laughs> hard in the paint with you? <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I was scared because I put it in. It was, like, burning my head. It does. There was, like, a. I remember I had to buy an oil that went with it to make it not burn your head but i remember one time i fell asleep with that shit in my hair and i woke <laughs> up dude and i had these 
blisters that were on the side yeah, of my head. It's not it supposed so... to touch your scalp. I know, but that. when you're a dude, you got to get on there. And you know, it's, it's fashion, son. When I, you're a dude, you do got to get yeah. on there. I did it for like a year and no one told me that like redheads that have blonde eyebrows shouldn't bleach their hair. It looked like an albino. It was rough. You know what's funny about that? I still have a picture of that somewhere. I have a box of old stuff and there's one. In, you're at the Seven Eleven by where we lived at the apartments whatever the cardoza yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're at that we were just driving around and you're like all flexing like but you're being serious you're like doing a thing where you're, like, <laughs> non-ironic you're flexing we got like yeah. the thumbs in the pocket non-ironic flexing yeah well i flex now but i'm being stupid yeah. about it <laughs> uh, yeah. oh yeah yeah look at my big neck did yeah. he have you looked good though did he have just the the front part of his shirt tucked in and jabot's on <laughs> i wish <laughs> had that like that look he had stussies yeah. on dude <clears throat> Satan's son. Massimo. <laughs> Red Sand was a good one. So what is it you do for Brighton Recovery? What is a client of Brighton Recovery going there for? Um, they're there for dual diagnosis, so drug rehabilitation as well as mental <clears throat> health. Awesome. And what, what does dual diagnosis mean? Dual diagnosis. Dual diagnosis is where they treat both sides of the spectrum. The gotcha. drug side, the addiction side, solo, yeah. as well as the mental health side, solo, and then they combine the treatments. I see. What's yeah. the population and clients that you work with? Um, right now we have a large popula- population of men. Um, but you know what's interesting about it is it has these huge influxes of lots of men and then lots of women. But it's a huge influx right now during the holidays. A lot of people. We have a huge wait list. Way bigger than we've had before. Yeah. And it's high-end stuff, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So all um, the celebrities? Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure you're not at liberty to tell <laughs> I'm not at liberty to tell any any names whatsoever. Tell us, but okay, so just rather than tell us the celebrity, just n- name a sitcom where they were the starring role. <laughs> yeah. Can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Name. Close, she, she just falls for it. Yeah. She's all Herman's head. <laughs> <laughs> Mob wives. <laughs> I'll bet. No. No, absolutely not. I don't watch that show, so I wouldn't even know if that was the case. You should. It's like mandatory for Sicilians. <laughs> for Sicilians? Like if you're on meeting, really you have to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I have watched that. God. You love it. Girls no. love it. Every girl loves it. No. I'm okay. not a girl. No? Mm-mm. Hmm. I don't love it. fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> you just said girls love it, and I don't. Well, That's secretly, it. secretly, publicly, because she's on a podcast, she wouldn't want to say that. She likes that. But yeah. I yeah. fucking right. love it. Yeah, Kim K. It's cool, Katie. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Kim K, she's everything to me. But what I do at Brighton Recovery Center is um, I'm the IOP coordinator, and IOP is intensive outpatient. All right, so what is intensive outpatient? So involved? it's a levels that? of care system that they have over there. So the highest level of care is residential treatment, where you're there 24-7. They feed you. You have your own room. And then there's the step down. The step down from that is PHP, which is Partial Hospitalization Program. Okay. Partial Hospitalization Program is day treatment. So they're there Monday through Friday, um, morning into the evening, and then they have nights and weekends at home. They're there all day? They're there all day. Just nights and weekends at home. Oh, right. That's PHP. Partial Hospitalization Program. Okay, PHP. And then the next level down... Is IOP. That's where you are. That's where I work, but I also work the residential. So I will work in the highest level of care and then the third level down, IOP. Do you skip the PHP? I don't work in PHP right now. 
they are developing a second PHP program. They have two residential centers. They have um, two IOP centers, and then they have one PHP program. So I don't work in the PHP program yet. Okay. So just to make sure I have it right, the main difference between residential and PHP is uh, PHP, they can go home nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. And then what's the difference between intensive outpatient, IOP, and PHP? So IOP, for insurance purposes, has to be nine hours of therapy a week. That's a lot. So it sounds like a lot, but when it... When patients have gone through residential and yeah. then PHP, when they're in IOP, they feel like, oh, my God, I have so much free time. Because the way our IOP program works is they come in Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays for three hours apiece. Oh, so it's way less. Now, like, So are these are the people in the IOP program all step downs from residential or do you have some people that just are IOP only? Yeah, we have direct admits as well. So we have had some direct admits. We call them direct because they came just from out there right to us in the IOP program, sometimes straight into the PHP program. But the step-downs are the ones that seem, on average, to be more successful. All right, so let's say that I'm a client. I come and drop down. What's my intake fee? Or do you guys advertise it? Can I ask you that? We we don't advertise. We don't advertise it. And um, what's like a monthly rate to go to? So, so you're talking residential? Sure. Yeah, residential. Yeah, residential. I've got a big problem. I need to come in, get some help. Um, I need to be in the residential program. And I got cheddar. <laughs> got some cheddar. <laughs> they have some um, scholarships where it, you fill out a scholarship form and then you can be admitted depending on how that form goes. So I say, I don't but need that scholarship. Because I'm your balling. insurance yeah. is paying for it, nope. or you're paying out of, out of pocket. pocket. Out of pocket, um, I roll out of it fat rain- bankroll. Honestly, honestly, it ranges because there's two different residential programs, and they both have different amenities that they provide. So they charge different rates depending on which I want one. The luxury suite. That's hard. <sighs> okay, my personal preference. She's really committed to this. No, really, my personal preference is the monastery where you have a private room, okay. but there's no pool. The other, but there's honey though. Is, what's this honey the, thing? Know, what is the honey coming from? I don't know. Hey, you looking at? There's a monastery. I'm looking at it. First the, of all, you're talking about. I think you're talking about the monks up in in Huntsville. Or yes, okay. I guess that wouldn't be right. Well, why are you referencing? Don't this? they all make honey? Well, first of all, <laughs> isn't that their Jeff, main this job? This is a reformed what? monastery. That's Would you stay on point? That's a recovery happening? center. <laughs> Do you think they just left the honey behind? <laughs> We're like, hey, you know what? We're going to give you our monastery, and in return, you have to perpetually make our honey. It could like, be some cheesy DBT technique, some in-the-moment, taste the sweetness, taste the rainbow. Taste the oh, sweetness. Taste the sweetness. Hey, that's a good one. I like it. That sounded great. Dude, you just taste the sweetness. You're an awful human being. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so your personal preference. My personal preference is the monastery because you get High a end. private room. High end. How much they, and they like both that? are. Um, I, I don't know the exact number. I'm going, I'm going to give you my best guess. I want to say 30 to 40. Damn son. Dollars. $40 a month. Okay. 30 to 40 K a month (laughs) is the guesstimate that I'm giving. So how long, what's the longest somebody's ever stayed there? An hour. We've had. (laughs) (laughs) We have had, um, oh God. Since I've been there, because this is actually a very new company, too. It's only been around for about two and a half, nearing three years. Mm -hmm. I've been working for them for about just over a year. 
um, since I've been there, the longest I've seen is 90 days. That's about right. So then you're what? 120 G's deep into, into your recovery. So like, and that, well, that's the piece too, is that besides, I guess, being able to put down a substantial amount of money, like what would qualify someone for residential as opposed to just IOP? Like, like, that, like, what kind of, how do you figure how to place them? What severity are you looking at? How do you, how do you determine that? So that all goes through the clinical and admissions teams together. What happens is when people feel as though they need treatment, they call us. On my end, what I will do is get them in touch with admissions. Admissions gets in touch with clinical, and then it has to be a clinical decision that they even need the treatment. And you're saying nine hours. You guys are using ASAM criteria then, right? Um, yes. Yeah. The American uh-huh. Society of Addiction Medicine Placement Criteria. Mm-hmm. So if they score high enough, boom, residential. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And then what do they have to do? Uh, so, you know, Mace, he does his 90 days in residential. Is it just you do your time and then you get set down to IOP or is there or is there something that the so there's case management on property and what happens is as you get closer to your discharge date, they set you up with appointments weekly as you get closer and closer. And then they discuss with you your aftercare plan. If it includes Brighton, other programs, great. They will help you with both. So we've actually had people that have left Brighton and gone into like Renaissance Ranch, and we have helped them get into those programs. Oh. Is it mainly local people, or is it people from all over? The all country? over. Okay. Yep. So, um, and are any of these people involved in the criminal justice system? Or are they there voluntary? They're there voluntarily. So they can bounce whenever they want. Yeah, it's definitely not locked down. Um, I've made jokes. I've had people run. Um, and I've made jokes about this in my groups. I've said things, shit like, why the fuck are you running? Because we're not chasing you. <laughs> they're just going. It is, it is fun to run from people. <laughs> they like they're legit just, bolt out like, the door. They w- <laughs> I have seen people legit bolt out the door and then turn around and look. And look like, oh, why they're not chasing, chasing me. Chasing? Yeah, they're right not chasing me. Yeah, we had to, we had to chase them. To chase I do not have to chase kids, them. Though. Yeah, well, that's just yeah. That made it more fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> we do have to call the cops. They're not allowed to be running around the neighborhood. Wait, what? Really? Why? Mm-hmm. What do they? Yeah, what do what's do the wrong? crime? Well, is um, it, are they considered like a high risk kind of thing? They're, or, yeah, uh, they're considered I high get risk. A high risk. <laughs> <laughs> what? What makes them high risk? Though? Because we have mental health as well as addiction. Okay. In our facility. Right. And it depends on the level of severity of the mental health disorders. Okay. So it's because we're in a neighborhood. We are in any oh, neighborhood. Like okay. tucked into a very private neighborhood. So to kind of keep it high we're, end. We're keeping the peace with the neighbors as well. Sure. So you're yeah. keeping it high end and nice. I mean, maybe um I'm sure, you know, I, I think about when when um we were when we were Trying to open up stuff in Morgan. It was my first that? thought. Yep. What a nightmare that was. And uh, doing it in the neighborhood, I mean, people just don't like that. You know, the kind no. of the whole not in my backyard type philosophy. And uh, there's a huge stigma against it. Well, and you could make, I mean, you could make some, uh, I think we had to make some considerations to like to the, to the city. You have to actually say, we'll do this, we'll do that. So I'm wondering if, if it sounds like that. I mean, they're not necessarily committing a crime, but it's a courtesy to right, say, hey. it's a courtesy. You know, it's not like there's a crazy lunatic running around the streets. You know, it's not like the werewolf is out there or something like that. No. I, I'd be curious to know what happens. Like, are they getting picked up in any kind of charge? I mean, like, if, if I voluntarily commit myself to treatment and I come in, you know, I'm, I'm sad, plus I like booze, and I gave you my $30,000, 
then I decide a couple of days later, I'm not feeling this and I leave, you're calling the cops. It's like I said, it depends on the level of severity with the mental health. So I've had people, uh, what we, what that would be called AMA against medical advice leaving Okay. or some say it's LAMA. LOL, um, AMA. LOL, AMA, AMA all of that. What's LMFAO? Leaving, leaving against medical advice. If they're going AMA, then we, and they're like walking through the neighborhood, what we'll usually do is just have a staff member go pick them up and say, hey, I'll take you to the bus stop. Oh. Like we're not trying to. The bus stop? You don't even ride the airport? 30 G. We do. Hey, we do give them rides to the airport, but um, they typically, if they're leaving on a whim, don't have a ticket. Yeah, that's probably true. So, but what's (laughs) what's stopping them from just calling an Uber? They could. Okay, do they They have access to phones? Um, No, when they come on property, um, there are certain limitations there. They do have access to phones, but not their personal cell phone without their therapist approving it. Yeah, what are the rules? So no, no phones. Don't ask me what the rules are. There's so many rules. You know what's really weird about that? I mean, there's probably a slew of rules, but it's like. it's weird because we think about our clients who are in inpatient treatment or even everything is a it, like a damn battle with them to get them to follow the rules because everything is so imposed. Whereas these rules, I'm voluntarily stepping into that environment and agreeing to this. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm agreeing to you to not for you to take my cell phone. I'm agreeing that I'm going to pay you this money and I'm not going to leave this place. And there's nothing holding me back, right? Which is totally different from the clients that we work with. Yeah, they they very rarely have a fit about anything, the clients that we work with. I mean, because they come into the facility, they know everything that they need to do in order to get well. They give us everything voluntarily. And if they change their mind, we give it back. It's We're not forcing anything. But there are rules, and they do have a client handbook. They read through it, and then they decide, you know... So okay. do you, are there like, uh, when you say celebrities, are there like movie stars and stuff that go there? Um, no, not movie stars. People that are well known. Not, okay, not, but not, like not even like I'm TV not talking shows. like Matt Damon and all those people Matt in Damon the news. Has for never, <laughs> ever been to a rehab. So like maybe Not somebody, even Tom Cruise, not even Suri Cruise. maybe on VH, VH1 once. N- no, you're, you're all thinking television. Mm. No, not Carson Daly. Car- yeah, Carson Politicians. Daly. <laughs> I would just think like I would just think like if you're if you're getting into like if I was doing like a PowerPoint presentation or something, you know, for my group, I had something up on there, and somebody's like, and somebody's like just talking shit or something. I just pull up like a horrible Rotten Tomato score right in front of the group. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, yeah. It's like what? What's this? Yeah, scoreboard. <laughs> Moonwalk out yeah. of the room. Yeah. Got him. Got him. Yeah. When yeah. it when it comes to celebrities, um, the best way I can describe it is I didn't know that these people were so well known until I was told. Oh, okay. But I also didn't know very much about the fields that they were coming from. Yeah. So. So this would be for, somebody like, like uh. It's, uh they're not like names Bill, that like you if, hear. Like if Billy Mitchell showed up on your doorstep, do you know who that is? No. He used to be the Donkey Kong. Top score in the Donkey, United States. Donkey Kong He's not anymore. <laughs> I would just imagine that since he got his Donkey Kong high record. Why do you know this? 
Don't ask me. But I would just imagine. Oh, yeah. Billy Mitchell. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah nobody knows him. I totally know Hashtag Billy. I would just imagine since Billy Mitchell lost his Donkey Kong high score, he'd just go into on a heroin binge, you know, like just, just, just the assumption. I don't know if they could afford it. You never though. know what throws you. So, yeah. What kind of edge. drugs do you see there? What, what's the most common? Uh, at the moment, with? it's heroin. Heroin. Okay. Very yeah, heavy. It's right now. Dude. Heroin IV drug use and yeah. a lot of mixtures between that and meth. <clears throat> like combining them. Mm-hmm. And what do they call those goofballs? Uh, speed speed ball. Ball. Nah, think, speedballs, think... coke and heroin. <laughs> I think it's a goofball. Is it? Well, yeah. let's, let's ask the professional. Yeah, what's what is it? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. I've never uh, done those. Goofball. Google it, Justin. <laughs> what is never it? done heroin. Goofball. Yeah. goofball versus speedball. Yeah, look that goofball up. Versus put speedball. that in. All right. <laughs> Yeah, this yeah, is what it auto it auto popped. So let's see, <laughs> so like he's, he's done this before. Ball, you decide. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Right. Yeah, we'll figure that. Out. So when you have like a dual diagnosis client, like, well, I guess, I guess, I guess, I should ask, like, how often is somebody coming in that has a pretty bad heroin addiction also have a co-occurring mental disorder? Almost exclusively. Oh, all right. What's the most um, common that you see as far as mental disorders? Mental would, health. Yeah, that would go along with heroin addiction. Um, PTSD, anxiety, and unipolar depression, typically. So how much do you guys work on trying to separate whether or not the mental health disorder was sort of kicked off by the drugs or if it existed beforehand and became like, a, and then they use drugs as a coping? Like, right. How, what do you um, so there's... Um, we have the best way I can explain that is we have this big programming. We have m- m- Sunday through Sunday planned out for them. Every single day is planned out. So they will spend 9 a.m. till 10 p.m. in groups. Group, 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 group all day long. Are they allowed to go to the bathroom? No. And then, (laughs) yes, restroom is allowed. And then um, after they go through all of these groups, they also have therapy sessions one-on-one with their therapist, which is assigned to them when they get there. And then as they're going through these groups, the groups that they're in are things involving um, trauma healing, process groups. Um, They do gender process groups typically, too. Um, they also do different age process groups because we have a range from anywhere of like 18 years old all the way up to 100. So Wait, like, there's 100 year old heroin dudes? No, we haven't had anyone that's 100. Damn. But it could yeah, go up to that. Just go for it. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> At this point, yeah, bucket, bucket list. You see the little Miss Sunshine? But, but like yeah. if you have like, so they're divided by by gender, by age, but. For process groups. Oh, right. Which is uh, just emotional processing. So it says uh, goofballs are like slang for barbiturates. Well, uh, you were way <laughs> off, man. But then it also says under that, what practicing Scientologists ingest, usually in great overwhelming amounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it says, slang for barbiturates. What's speedball? That's coke that's, and heroin. Yeah. I think it's used interchangeably with meth also. Though. Uh, I think the two. So it's just anything you want it to be. Yeah. It's it's some upper with heroin, I the think. The upper echelon. So what's your, what, um, as far as, um, and I guess, you know, I don't know if you guys have outcomes that or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally, I mean, how so a client's coming in, this is totally voluntary. They're there for whatever they're doing. I mean, what's what's the success rate like there? I mean, does it pretty good outcomes do you see for the um, most part? So they're still gathering the data on that because of how new the company is. Yeah, you just, said like a year so two years. So I've been working there just over a year, but they're just under 3 years old. 
and okay. they're going to need a good five-year right. data yeah. for that, just for Brighton. Do you know what they're doing to gather that data? Uh-huh. So our um, alumni director works on that currently, um, and alumni is actually doing really well right now. Um, alumni is kind of notorious for not having anyone show up in the recovery Can world. You explain what alumni means? Alumni is all of the patients that have graduated successfully That's so from weird the program. That they don't ever come back. Right? Right. <laughs> They're just notorious for um, having putting on these events and stuff like holiday parties and stuff and having people just not come and re meet everybody that they were in treatment with. That sounds like a lot of extra food then. I would go. <laughs> Brighton, I'll, I'll bet they got like honey baked hams too. Huh? Well, so they, well, I haven't been to the Christmas dinner yet, but. What, you're um, invited? The, I'm invited. I'm working. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm there. What, they don't like, hold, oh, you're working. Okay, you're I'm there. I'm working on there. Christmas. Yeah, it's 24 7. Well, yeah, but I mean. They'll make you a plate. You can't go to the damn Christmas. <laughs> yeah, here's no, your no, plate. No, 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 no. <laughs> I get to go eat with the patients. I can go oh, eat okay. with them. Nice. I love patients, I get what not I clients. You guys don't call them clients? So um, <laughs> there's debate about it. We go back and forth. So um, what sounds really weird is that for me personally, when they're in residential, I call them patients. When they're in IOP or any outpatient program, I call them clients. Huh. And I'm not sure Why is there a where, debate about it? Um, it's not even a debate necessarily. It's more or less um, the wording. <laughs> the wording has changed a lot with Brighton. So uh, we you used to have... You guys have docs there, <clears throat> though, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, medical doctors. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and we have nurse practitioners on staff at all times. And oh, okay. that's probably where med patients come from, right? Yeah, Although I, I think that, about like the easiest way to settle an argument is that who's going who's gonna to win in a fight. Like, well, you know? clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, isn't that the humane way to settle an argument? It's definitely. Say it's yeah. clients. That's why it's clients here at Alpha. Yeah. yeah. Is it clients here? I was trying to go with yeah. patients, but Mace beat my ass early on in the formative years of Alpha. <laughs> yeah. How, how early on was that? When was 2012, that? 2012. September of 2012. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah, I think we have two, really. We call them dudes more. <laughs> we usually say the dudes. Yeah. They help these dudes. <laughs> bros. Dudes yeah, right. and bros yeah. more than clients, dudes even? Yeah. Yeah. I might have to start doing that. Right. Uh, These are so my chicks. So success rates, like in terms of, I mean, so the objective, obviously, if I'm entering into a substance use disorder type of a program is to not use again, right? Remain now, substance free. Yes. Now, obviously, um, I mean, we're just not very good at substance use disorder treatment anyway in America. We're not very good at it at all. But I mean, mm-hmm. anecdotally, do you see a lot of success there? Because it's different because it's voluntary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, criminal justice-based models, I mean, there's there's a lot of problems with those. But I'm just wondering, I mean, what do you see? The main thing is because it isn't voluntary. So I think that you hit the nail on the head with it because we, we're not forcing anybody. There have been times that families have interventions and they fly them out to Brighton and they're there and they immediately leave. And that I see way more often than people that walk in on their own TV. Like that show intervention? Yeah. How does this work? The intervention no, 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 portion. no. Not the, not the show. But like that. Like that. Wait, yeah. Where does the intervention happen? It happens wherever. So sometimes um, pa- uh, patients or clients have had people in their family get together and surprise, we need to talk to you about your drug use and you need to go now or we're cutting you out of our life. Just like the show. Yeah, like the show. Wow. There so are they, people that are interventionists. The, the that client do that. gets there. The client gets to Brighton mm-hmm. and just says, uh, no. Do yeah. they have the quote unquote talk about getting gooned? Does that happen at all? 
I haven't Goon heard squads. that. You know what that is? That's only for that. kids, dude. Is it, is it just if you're underage, you get kidnapped? Yeah. yeah. Like you're, so, so there's, Utah has a really, <laughs> I don't know the, the law, Justin, you might be able to pull it up, but there's a law in Utah basically that if you're under the age of 18 and with parental consent, you can be held at a location against your will. So other, other states like California or New York that have really affluent families or whatever, um, you know, their kid doesn't eat his vegetables or whatever. So they'll call mm-hmm. a transporting company from Utah to fly out there and then basically goon the kid to come to they, they literally That's a great it's, not, it's not kidnapping him because the parents are consenting to his treatment. Consensual yeah. kidnapping. But they literally <laughs> grab them and take yeah, them. They literally right. they, in the middle of the night and they fly them to Utah, and then they, and then they come here, and, and then they do their treatment, and then they do, come to a. Because the only one I saw down and they're chloroformed there. first, I assume. Yeah, like, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah they're yeah, poisoned. They're <laughs> poisoned. <laughs> yeah, the only other one I saw where maybe you've seen this, where you're working is people would kind of like use blackmail or leverage. It was like kind of sad. I saw this happen a few times, but they needed it. So someone would come out and they're like, oh, we're just stopping at this place. Your dad's doing business. Yeah, come oh, with no. us because they're 18. Yeah. And then they, and I was in some of these and you're just like sitting there watching like fly on the wall. They're like, hey, so uh, my name's so-and-so. I'm going to be your therapist. Your parents are leaving you here. They just walked out like, I'll get up and leave. And like we would have to kind of block the mm. door. Like, like we just let me talk to you for a minute. If you want to leave, you can, but... They're not, there's no money. They have your bag. Like you don't have, so they don't have their ID or anything. They're like, if you want to leave, you have to find your own way home, but we prefer you stay. Can you imagine? Can you say, so, cause, cause a lot of the people come that are like not necessarily gooned. They're more like heavily persuaded by their family. The majority of people, right. So, but the majority of people that come, come of their own free will and because they want change and they have the intention of change, but addiction is a really, fucked up thing and the way it works in your brain and in your body you can have the best intentions in the world but they mean shit yeah yeah. so they'll have but the choice is definitely one of the main differences in whether someone is successful or not you know it's it's funny you say that because they're saying they leave almost immediately when they get there because there's No. no there's no like so, so if, if my family does an intervention, says, "Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we have this connection with you. We're your support, and if you don't do this, that connection is gonzo. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna fly out to this place, and you got to go there. And if, you know, people just bounce because I think about, I don't know, you you would think that if you get into a, um, you know, like the criminal justice side of things, that clients are compelled, they're court ordered into programming, so they come and they actually complete. But in terms of the recidivism rates, they probably aren't much better. Because well, and I nature right, them. and I've seen that in my own personal life mm-hmm. because my uh, my ex husband was in the drug court program in Utah. Oh wow! And completed it and everything, doing killer. And as soon as he graduated, it was time to party. Yeah, it, it there it was. N- the law was not doing anything for him except uh-huh. giving him um, a break and showing him this is when you can use again. Which, so, which sometimes, well, sometimes that break allows them to get their head straight. Yes, it does. Things. And I think a big part of that, just from what I've seen, has to do with maturity and age. And there's sure. a huge there's a huge problem with people that start using, and my ex was using heroin at the age of 12. When you're using at such a young age and then it gets heavier and heavier and you overdose and you die multiple times, you are doing something to your brain 
And I've heard it said to me many times in my groups, my patients will say, well, we can't help it, Caitlin. You know, I mean, we're stuck in the age of when we started using. I said, but you can still mature. Well, there's that case too, but he said something important a couple minutes ago that I wanted to circle back around to. You were talking about how addiction is pretty screwed up and you were saying that people can enter into treatment with the best of intentions and really mean well. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the outcome is they don't end up doing so well some, a lot of times, but like that's something that we've addressed on a previous podcast. We've, you know, motivation to change, you know, there's like, I think there's this idea out there that people that have these addictions or, you know, in our, like a lot of the guys we work with, there's sexual behavior problems that they're manipulating when they say they want to change that, that they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes and, and, uh, really they're just trying to look for their next fix. And certainly those people exist, but we've seen also plenty that they really do want to change. And, and then they, they'll continually relapse with whatever they're, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, it's heroin or pornography, whatever, whatever it is that we're, that we're working on. And, and, I think that writing that off as manipulation or the client is just telling us what we want to hear is a bit short sighted. And again, mm-hmm. sometimes that is the case, but a lot of times it's addiction's a bitch. It I is. Say so. the most of the time. The majority of the time if a client's coming to you and I mean I'm you know, if I've been on like if I've been using heroin since I was twelve and how how old was your ex when he started drug court? He oh, when he started drug court he was nineteen. Took him two years. Okay, so nineteen years old. I'm a nineteen year old kid. I mean I'm like frontal lobes not even finished developing and and I'm telling you, I really want to stop, dude. I really want to stop. I don't think that person's lying. I right. I would say the vast majority of the time. I mean if I'm not gonna say always because that's just too much of a generalization. I see the vast majority of the time at that moment, that person's telling you the truth. I think they're being genuinely sincere. It is though, however, an underestimation of how serious of a problem this is like, and that, um, and the constant vigilance, the nonstop vigilance that it takes to have sustained recovery. Correct. Well, and that's part of impulse control as well. When you're, and I talk to my patients about it when you're, Addicts are very strong people when you think about it. They're constantly fighting an impulse that they have. Yeah. And that's a muscle that gets tired. I mean, yeah. most people have an urge to cheat on their diet, you know, and their keto diet. <laughs> their keto. <laughs> no one and they, and then they they fight it and it's over as soon as they don't have to look at the cookies anymore. Yeah. But for addicts, it's not over even if it's not in front of them. Right. I kind of, I, I had it described to me once um, by a client. He was telling me, he said, um, so if you want to know what a craving's like, you know, so go underwater and hold your breath and try to not come back up for air. And that's what a craving mm-hmm. feels like sometimes. He's He can't really explain it, but he's, if he could explain it, like the desire to get to that air at one point or another is how they feel about needing right. to get. So. What, what would you what would you chalk it up to? I mean, obviously, you probably had an insight into this that others didn't. So he successfully completed drug court, mm-hmm. and not long thereafter, he relapsed. What do you think happened? Um, I think myself and him both happened. Yeah, together we were um, twenty one, and we wanted to drink. And it went downhill from there because the drinking, and this is pretty common actually with heroin addicts, they, they will sometimes switch from heroin to alcohol. 
It's a depressant on the brain and it works really well and um, it's easy to get. It's really accessible. And then at a certain point when his mental health started to take a huge dive, it increased heavily until he ended up going to his third or fourth, something like that, treatment center. Wow. That's really unfortunate. I mean, I I think, though, part of it, it seems to me, and, and I don't know what you guys think about this. So I think of a client's entering in the criminal justice model, you know, which, uh, by the way, I kind of was looking through the Surgeon General's report for 2013, and it had past months rate of substance use among people age 12 and older from 2002 to 2014, and they, they said binge alcohol use and illicit drug use. So in 2002, the binge alcohol was 22.9%, and in 2014, it's 23%. And... 2002, 8.3% for illicit drugs, and then 10.2% in 2014. The funny thing about this is, is that, I mean, so roughly we spend about $400 billion a year to for criminal sanctions mm-hmm. on substance use disorders, and it's remained completely flat for 12 years. Like $400 billion? $400 billion per mm-hmm. year on that. Which, I mean, there's a lot of... Well, and and so the Surgeon General's appeal here is that this needs to be treated like a public health crisis rather than a criminal justice problem. Oh, yeah. And because, well, and you're just looking at that. I look at those numbers and I say, well, you know, you're not you're not getting any better. The criminal-based model is not helping this whatsoever. It's not getting you out of this stuff. So... Um, you, you were kind of alluding to this idea that like that's you know it starts to be kind of a I, I start using alcohol and that's kind of downwards downward spiral from there. I mean, mm-hmm. what happens there? I mean, based on stuff that you kind of teach in group, because you, you meant what what's the model you teach in IOP? Uh, the matrix model, the matrix as model. well as DBT skills. Right. So I mean, so anybody who's listening to this, the matrix model, the matrix institute. Is at a, um, I, th- I think it's Rancho Cucamonga, California, and uh, they, the Matrix Institute, developed a, a program and um, intensive outpatient program. Um, they actually sold it to the government not too long ago and was licensed by SAMHSA. It's now put out on public domain, and then they have their own model too. But it's a the best, most evidence based program for somebody with a substance use disorder. Originally developed for, um, I think, cocaine users, stimulant cocaine users stimulants, for sure. Yes. And then they, they moved on from there. So um, so what's some of the things that you try to teach clients about that that helps them understand how serious they need to take this issue? Um, in IOP, I um, stick with the matrix model curriculum. So, But on Mondays, I will teach DBT skills, which is incredibly useful, mainly for um, borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the matrix model itself, I go over, um, I like to just generalize it by saying life and social skills. These people don't know how to cope with anything or what feelings feel like. And when they feel feelings, they tend to have a panic attack and decide that, okay, I need to use because this is, that's their go-to. Because substances help me numb out. Right. Right. I'm not and, familiar with these. I use, right. I don't have to feel that shit. Yeah. Right. And they know what works. And they know that the littlest thing can set them off. But one of the biggest things that I um, attack in IOP is relapse prevention Uh because relapse is very likely in IOP because they're being held accountable, but they have a lot of freedoms. Right. That's why I love the work because I get to see a lot. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the things that I like about Matrix is it it focuses a lot on scheduling and and, – taking up those big blocks of time. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about when, when a client transitions from residential to IOP, 
that, and they, they have these big blocks of time. Like I, I'm, I, I guess I'm assuming that I'll bet you hit that right out the gate as far as, well, what are you doing with your time now that right. you're not in this 24 seven residential program? Relapse prevention uh, and the matrix model is broken up into different sections and there's ER, which is early um, recovery. And then there's relapse prevention. And I've, I focus heavily on relapse prevention and scheduling is huge huge in that because they say that they have these big blocks of time. But the funny thing is, is they'll come to IOP and then they'll bitch and moan the entire fucking time because they're there nine hours a week. And they're like, this takes up so much of my time. I don't have time to go to meetings. I don't have time to meet with my therapist. I don't have time to, I said, what are you fucking doing with your entire day? It's well, three hours. Well, it's good. I, I, it's, it's such a simplistic, it's such a simplistic it's a justification. That's all. Well, it's a really simplistic intervention. If you think about it, I mean, if Scheduling. I, well, yeah. I mean, so think about this. If I if I dedicate myself, like genuinely dedicate myself to a schedule and hour by hour, minute by minute, I've allocated my time to something that doesn't involve substance use, you know, and I stick to that. Well, it's, I mean, I'm not leaving myself any wiggle room for emotional decisions to come up. So if I have a block of time, like, yeah, I'll figure it out. Well, no, you won't. You need to figure something out. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? I even to kind of tell clients in the Matrix program, I try to say, are you watching TV? Yeah. I mean, put that in there. It's okay to watch TV. You're fine. I mean, just schedule it. Mm-hmm. Say that you're dedicated to this because... It rarely is something about, okay, 7 a.m., wake up, 8 a.m., eat breakfast, 9 a.m., do a shot of dope. Like, nobody writes that into their schedule. Right. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's an important piece. I think a lot of times clients feel compelled to fill it up with something, even though they just maybe want to watch TV. I think, I think them hearing that it's okay to veg out now and again, as long as it's structured and planned, right. it's fine. That there's a purpose behind it. So, I mean, the thing is, is I was, <laughs> it's funny, at, at uh, the halfway house, in the the group room that I use, it's almost sometimes like we have uh, wars with the other groups that are in there. Because I was talking about like coping strategies, and I wrote video games up there. Because somebody said video games, and one of the other therapists wrote in parentheses after that said not one. Like that's not a coping strategy. I'm like, okay, look, mm. dude, it, it, entertainment is good. Entertainment's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And if I'm saying that I'm playing this for entertainment purposes for an hour or two whatever like do you think because you watch game of thrones that night you're better than that person that played a video game i mean i'm not a gamer by any stretch i'm just saying if it's entertaining and you're minding your business and you're being pro-social and you're not using who cares dude like, if what? penguin land keeps you sober <laughs> by all means it's baby no. penguin land uh, baby penguin <laughs> well, it's funny because i have clients that say stuff like that like, you'll ask them like oh what'd you do this week Oh, I played video games. I know I'm, I know I shouldn't, but I did my well, So why not? In moderation. Yeah, don't well, and that's, 24 hours a day. Yeah, the moderation thing is important. And I think it's interesting that people will say things like video games aren't okay or watching TV isn't okay. And there's a very fine line between the whole distraction from your cravings and escaping from reality. Yeah. that That's yeah. huge with – like so – I'm assuming you're probably talking about some of those role-playing games, oh, the yeah. ones that you can get completely the lost ones in. I love. Oh, that's you. <laughs> that's you. Yeah. So yeah, they can consume you, right? Yeah, you absolutely. Get, you get a, you because be that else. is where you're living. Yeah. You're not living anywhere else. And you can play a video game while still be living in reality. So, so if Justin likes World of Warcraft. and Which I, I don't. <laughs> He's uh-huh. it's like, for the record, yeah. I don't. For the record, I don't. I'm not playing it right now. If, if he does, <laughs> I, I'm on there. <laughs> if Justin's your client, how would you help him differentiate between escaping uh, reality versus uh, just a, a a structured distraction? 
Um, if if I was dealing with somebody that was just a gaming addict, which by the way we have had gaming addicts before, um, it's it's one of those situations where I'd encourage them to make the final decision on what it's doing for them. So I'd have them schedule. That'd be the first thing I do. And I'd also have them not just schedule everything that they have to do, but schedule their downtime. I always tell everybody to schedule your downtime. Do you have a block where you're not doing anything? If you have a block where you're not doing anything and all you want to put in there is gaming, do it. Yeah, good. But if you have multiple blocks of downtime and you're going to use that five hour period to just game everything away and not even remember to eat, there's going to, there's that line yeah. yeah. and you can help people find the line just by using simple keywords, but they struggle because they don't know and they've never thought about it. Well, and it's almost like you said, distraction's a key factor when I'm trying to cope with a craving, right? Mm-hmm. But distraction relies on that whatever I'm going to distract myself with, I'm genuinely interested in. Interested in, in, right. So if I'm gaming, which is fine, I could use that, but I would have to almost deliberately restrict myself from doing that in order for it to be effective. Because if Mm -hmm. I'm I'm using it for a coping strategy as distraction, well, I can't be playing games and then think that, and then having a craving, and then I think it's going to go away. Because, I mean, I'm gaming and I'm having a craving at the same time. Well, and there is that risk of cross-addiction. Right. The method that I was attempting to use to distract myself is what I'm doing right now. Probably not going to be effective. I mean, same thing when I tell clients, well, what are you going to do to distract yourself? I'm oh, read a book. I'm like... When was the last time you read a book? Yeah, like, when I was five, I'm like, well, okay. You're not going to read a book. Yeah, you're not going yeah, to read a book. That's not going to distract you. I mean, this has to be something you genuinely like. But you, but you keyed in on something that that like even scheduling your downtime because you were talking about earlier that their inability to deal with you know um, emotional reactions and stuff like that is kind of problematic and and their their impulsive side of their brain doesn't know how to do this very well right. and it's going to default to using more than not and so there's kind of a concept in matrix like this be smart and not strong be narrative. smart not strong can is you my favorite. explain that a little bit um so the idea of being strong is and i love to talk about it with my patients since i always start by saying how many of you have tried to quit using drugs all by yourself every hand will raise because nobody takes their first drink <laughs> or their first shot and walks into rehab and says i need help someone save me because you're going to try and white knuckle it you're going to try and stop because I'm strong enough and I have enough ego and pride to win. Or right. downplay that it's a problem. Right. Yeah. And you're going to tell yourself that, you know what, um, I'm only going to use enough. Like, I actually had some friends that would use three times a week because any more than that a week and they'd start getting dope sick. You're a junkie. Oh, God. All oh, the stigma. Yeah. But you know what's interesting is three times a week turned into four times a week, turned into five times a week, turned into five times a day. And then they end up back in rehab. Right. They do not have the willpower, period. Right. So to be smart about recovery, all that means is to keep yourself away from the things that are going to trigger the fuck out of you yeah. until you have some sobriety behind you right. and someone in your corner. So not deliberately putting your, exposing yourself to triggers that are going to activate a part of your brain that, I mean, you're going to have a losing argument with. Right. Like even, even, even if you're attempting to talk yourself out of it, it's not going to happen. And I, and I suppose that's not to say that people historically haven't white knuckled their way through. They, they certainly have. They have. have. It's dry drunk syndrome. Sure. But they... But I think that's 
big time exceptions. Like that's well, and it's also miserable if you think about it. All yeah. you're doing is uh, ha- you have all the same behaviors, all the same traumas, all the same pain without the thing that was covering it up. Yeah, that's all you have. You know what story I it's like to worse. tell? You know what it's story worse, I like to tell? Right? Clients? Might as well be getting drunk. Seriously, the story Jeez. I like to tell clients when I'm using that analogy: the be smart, not strong. I always tell them about that time you and I tried to move that bar downstairs. <laughs> yeah, dude, we had this. We had this yeah. bar, and I bought it from this guy, um, and it was really cheap. It was only 150 bucks, but it was a nice bar. Remember that? Yeah. And we went out, picked it up, and even then, I was like, "Oh my god, this thing! What that had to have been five hundred pounds? It was, it was heavy, heavy, heavy. <laughs> and we got it in the back. And so, like, um, we got, we were trying to move it downstairs, really narrow um, stairs, and we were." We we called on our friend, who is late to everything on this planet, and uh, because he's playing World of Warcraft. Because he's playing World of Warcraft, <laughs> yeah. so I blame it on that. But Jeff and I, you know, a couple meathead losers, were like, okay, we can do this. We can move this five hundred pound massive thing down the stairs. And I remember the, our approach was so stupid, like it was so stupid. So. I got down on the stairs and you have to, so the stairwell's right here and there's a wall on the stairwells. So, and then there's a huge wall over here. So there's kind of like an overlay thing. We started to go down and I just had it like in a shoulder press. This, this, <laughs> oh my God. yeah, like a shoulder. <laughs> and then Jeff and Jeff was supposed to somehow get behind that or something. But why you got to the point where you couldn't do anything. Yeah. The, 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 the size of the bar made it so that I, Based on your staircase, I could no longer grip it right in any ca- capacity. And so I have this 500-pound object above my head, and and I'm like, and my arms are now shaking, and I'm like, what am I gonna? And Jeff, get, Jeff's like, dude, this is what you got to do. You got to just drop it and run. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? That, like, there's no, there's no way to do. I'm, I'm gonna die. Like today is gonna be the last, my last day on Earth. And, and again, it sounds corny, but it's super scary. And then right then, for our friend rolls in. Oh, what's going on here, guys? I'm like, help, 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 help me, right? And I, and I think like we were not intelligent about that at all, and we tried to think okay we're just going to willpower and strengthen our way through this and, and we almost got really hurt off the whole thing and it would have been really i think i mean i don't know if that's a great analogy for clients. no it is, is because it like, how much ego played into it tons tons <laughs> oh, it and ego, ego will destroy ego. you in recovery right it, you saw us before this podcast got started like mason uh-huh. and i get ramping each other up with all these stupid challenges and, you know, <laughs> yeah like it's all ego yeah it is well, kind of the be smart not strong the, the, the way i share it is just I mean, here I go talking about the diet again, but I, I'm I'm really good at meal prepping, and I count on it to help me actually stick to what I'm doing. So, you know, I I pack up a little cooler with me, bring it bring it to work, and what that does is that it it eliminates me having to choose what to eat once I'm hungry because it's already there, it's already packed up. The decision's been made for me. It was made first thing in the morning when I threw the ice pack in the cooler with, along with the food that I prepared. If if I didn't have that option, certainly there's still healthy options out in the community uh, if I you know, just want to go out and get something to eat. But when I'm hungry and I'm driving by Five Guys and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I go to Five Guys or I could go to Neaters and get something on a lettuce wrap. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to Five Guys. Right. You know, and, and it, that's because willpower, willpower, willpower is fleeting. You know, right. we, we don't always have our ability to stay strong 
24-7. No, and, and there's a science behind what you're talking about, too. And, uh, um, I don't know if you guys watch TED Talks, but there's a science of happiness. And he talks about that same thing, where, you know, when you ha- are given so many different choices, you're going to ultimately be unhappy with your decision. <clears throat> Because there's just so many different options mm. available to you. So abundance of choice but, leads to... And choice in the good old US of A is the idea of you know freedom of choice. Uh-huh. That is what happiness is. But he's finding, this guy is finding that happiness is actually when you are given two options, you pick and you can't go back. They're happy with that. I follow that. I yeah. mean, yeah, uh, if you think about it, it, it makes sense, right? Because it's the if, regret and the what if huh. that makes people feel miserable about themselves. Yeah, I believe wow. that. You think, just think about phones. Mm-hmm. Like you get a phone, and then six months later, anyone comes out and goes, "Oh, I got to get the new phone." Like, mm-hmm. Then you feel like left out, like something's wrong right. if you don't have like a new car or a new phone or what. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I've had a lot of patients fight me on that very idea and be like, that video's stupid. That guy's annoying. Why? That was awful. Right. I was like, what, what about the like content, about you fool? Yeah. What do they not like, like about it? They don't like the idea that he's right <laughs> about it. They want to be able to choose. They're like, okay, so the guy gave an example of, I can't remember who it was, famous guy. He saw a McDonald's stand, burger stand, McDonald's Brothers, and he wanted to invest in it. And he went to his brother, needed $3,000. His brother said, no, are you crazy? Nobody eats hamburgers. Another guy comes around, same idea, buys the stand, franchises it, and is now a billionaire, right? Wow. I'm talking about the, the founder. The coach. Mm-hmm. Dude, have you seen? Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's not it. Have you seen? Have you, I think you, it is. For the McDonald's people? Yeah. No, man. You no. need to like. You, What's you, his name? Watch the movie The Founder with yeah, Michael watch Keaton. That. With Michael Keaton. Yeah. And you got, that's what you got out of it. <laughs> guy's last name? Isn't it K O C H? guy's last name? You're such a loser. What's his last name? I'm talking about all of it Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Dude. You're talking about the Coke brothers? You should have just said you haven't seen it. They don't like that. Patients don't like that idea. Because they're like, there's no way that he's actually happy. Because what they did is they got an interview with the guy that missed out on that deal. Well, Give me a break. Croc? Retract your statement. Oh, yeah, that was pretty Coach good. and Croc are too Retract cool. your Croc. statement. Was that was... <laughs> Give me a break. Retract your statement. Nope. Oh, boy. Well, another another yeah. problem with that, though, too, is people think of happiness as this, like, perpetual state. You just stay there. Like, if you're happy, oh, someone yes, who's happy, absolutely. you're happy all the time. No, you're not. It's I literally just yeah. said that yesterday during yeah. group. I said, why do we feel like happiness is so elusive? It's because we expect it to be occurring 24-7. And if it was, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be happy. It no. would just be normal. And we yeah. and, mm-hmm. and addicts have the issue of the huge mood elevation and mm-hmm. then drops. So they're not used to the dullness yeah. of the in-between. Yeah. They're used to the high yeah. or the I, low. And if I'm sad or anything else, that's a bad thing. Well, like, that's right. a bad emotion. So I don't want that. And I can't I feel, feel it. Good. Right. Yeah. So the, I, I think a better approach to that, if you're I mean, a therapist working with clients, is stop labeling emotions as good or yeah. bad. They're just emotions. I mean, and... You that's know, the DBT. Interest- that's what DBT does too. I'm not a big believer in DBT. Oh. DBT oh. is just no, no, no. I no. Don't get me it's way wrong. Way better than CBT. I love DBT. DBT. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I love it too, but it's not really DBT. It's just CBT with another name. It's like it. a better CBT. Almost, yeah. almost it's it's like, it's like well, and the only difference I've CBT. seen with it, and I asked, I asked my yeah. boss, I said, "What's the difference between DBT and I'll CBT?" Bet he gave and you he a said, "Bullshit answer." He said, 
a letter. Oh yeah, it's right. Pretty true. That's what he exactly. said. That's pretty true. Exactly. That's what he said. <laughs> well, no. The, so the idea that emotions are just generic, and I get to make what I will with them. The, the funny thing is, is sometimes I've seen people in their most down and out moments when they're coming in, and happiness is contingent on contrast. Like I can't have happiness without sadness. I don't know. I wouldn't have a concept of happiness without sadness. Yeah. Perpetual happiness is is not reality because I have to have sadness to get in there. So the idea, I think. If I can coach a client to understanding that, look, man, you are poised to have to experience life on a level that I never could experience. I mean, you think about a kid who grew up, never had to worry about anything, graduated high school, went to college, makes sixty thousand dollars a year, leads a relatively mediocre life. I'm not talking shit on anybody who makes sixty thousand dollars a year. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you get my my point, right? And they've never really known struggle. I'm just going to tell you, life is not nearly as sweet as somebody has come back from the depths of hell and crawled out of that. Like, and we don't even celebrate that. We don't celebrate people who never had problems. You know, like it's not like we, hey, you want an award? People who get a lot of recognition have had really hard times and bounced back from that. So the idea of contrast, my ability to to get from this, and I I tell this about uh, parents too, because I deal a lot with like, when I was doing family drug court, I had a lot of moms who were very shameful about these things. And I said, look, the word mom and dad will have so much more meaning coming from your kid's lips than it will any other kid that's Mm -hmm. coming. It'll have 10 times the amount of meaning because of what has had to go through for life. This is a huge gift sometimes in in that you can embrace if you take it to the next level and do that, like that's, and they, and they really like hearing that, that that's the idea. Like those, those things are really important that contrast pieces. So rather than trying to, yeah, I'm not going to deal with this emotion, man, anxiety, sadness, all that sucks. That's horrible. Okay. I I'd prefer it not to happen, but I think learning to embrace that and living with it and kind of, yeah. And just writing it out and then knowing that, okay, Again, now this has this has made my ability to be happier in the future much greater. I'm gonna my levels of happiness have now gone up. My well, that's one of the biggest there. things for me. I struggled with anxiety big time through like my early mid twenties. One of the things you know, just researching on my own how to handle this kind of a thing. And that was one of the biggest things I read, and I remember reading it was. I thought it was crazy at the time. I just said, like, no, embrace things. I like, allow it. Don't fight. Radical it. Don't acceptance. Fight. It, it, to, that's totally one of the things that started to turn it around for me. Like. I haven't had a big panic attack since then. It used to be, I would have this small, like, oh, crap, there it is. Like, I could feel it. And then I would t- talk myself into it. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to freak like out. Like you're panicking because you think you're yeah, going to panic. Yeah, I panicked because I was worried I was going to panic. Yeah. Yeah, so instead it was just more like, like, now it'll happen. I'll, I'll, I'll notice, like, the feeling of anxiety coming in. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's anxiety. Now I'll kind of think, like, well, what's going on? Does something need attention? Or is it, or is it, hey, it'll go away. Yeah. And it usually just does. It doesn't turn into a full-blown thing. But it's more of like, I allow it. Oh, that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the whole act of trying to control and manipulate yeah. the emotion, sure. make it better or make it worse mm-hmm. or make it go away when all we really need to do is just let it be what it is. Yeah, which and, takes a which lot is of just practice. An emotion. Yeah, right. But, yeah. Well, so how do they respond? I mean, do you guys very much support like this idea that this is, you know, um, I mean, medical science has kind of bared out that this is now a neurobiological disorder, right? This is a disease mm-hmm. that I'm dealing with. How do clients respond to that on your end? Uh, the majority of clients are okay with it, which is actually surprising to me. I have had two or three very serious holdouts. 
stop saying it's a disease. It's not a fucking disease. This is stupid. And just getting incredibly angry about it. Yeah. Because that disease portion gives the idea to in their head that I can't control this. I, I have a disease. Well, it's like cancer and I can't help that I have cancer. It's, well, do they like AA meetings then? No. No. Same people that fight the disease idea hate AA and you know, God. You know, it's so... <laughs> Well, or higher power. You know well, what I mean? Like the, the whole third step, second step. All well, of that. the funny thing is, is I think the messenger is the problem with that, mm-hmm. not the message because, right. okay. So if you, I mean, as a, as a therapist, like how do either of you feel when, so, so the first step is I have to admit that I'm powerless against my, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering how that goes, but that's the kind of the first step I'm powerless against my addiction. How do you guys feel? Well, about I, that? I'm not a huge fan of the 12 step, right? You know, uh, well, it, it's kind of like, with uh, sex offender treatment, we like denial is typically the first thing that's confronted in traditional sex offender therapy and having them be responsible and, and accountable for their offense. And they, they just might not be there yet. Right. And so same principle. Yeah. So, so let me, let me help draw a distinction on this. So I'm powerless against my, my addiction, right? Which again, now when all this came out and, and this whole idea of being a disease is not new. I mean, this started in like the, the early sixties when they were kind of trying to go, alcohol was a big problem and everything back then. But so do you, let me, so just bear with me here. Follow me along here. Do you ever, when you step out of your house, do you worry about breaking your femur? No. Why not? It's unlikely. I've never done it before, and I don't think there's any situations I'd put myself in to do that. What if you did break your femur? What would you do? I uh, mean, after I got help, you mean? or So what would you do, first I'd thing? Get help. I'd get help. Get you, get where would you go? Hospital. Does part of the fact that you could go to a hospital help you not worry about breaking your femur? Yes. Okay, so knowing that I... Now, look. Let, imagine a world without doctors. Breaking a femur is life-ending. Yeah, that's... You're dead. literally crippling. You're, 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 you're done. You're dead, yeah. right? So one thing I encourage clients to see about this is powerless. Don't look at it like like I'm powerless against this. Equate that to not without assistance. There are things that you can't do without the assistance of a doctor. So rather than powerless, not without assistance. Okay. So in that other feels way better, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is exactly what somebody's trying to say. I'm powerless without assistance to deal with this. I mean, you're sitting in my group, homie. I mean, you know, not without assistance, you're going to be able to get through this. So the other message is too higher power, right? And sometimes people say, well, what if I don't believe in God? And then the thing is, well, your higher power can be anything. And we get that tree out there. I'm like, we want me to worship a tree, right? So, I mean, why, why do you think client, why, why, why would you have a problem with that? It's like, oh, you got to hand this over to your higher power. Well, I mean, a lot of people bristle at it being counter to their belief system. They feel like something's being forced on them. Right. Well, and, and again, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. So this is why I say, again, I say, consider your higher power to be more than just me. That's all I'm asking you. Think about this. You're not the center of the universe, right? Right. Higher power means more than just me. If I get sick tonight, if I had a cough, <laughs> I mean, if you did, what would you do if you had a cough? Uh, I would take the day off <laughs> tomorrow. No, you get some medicine? Clients, if you had a I'd, cough. I'd get some NyQuil. NyQuil, right? Out. And even after you got, even after you got like all the sickness, you'd keep drinking that NyQuil. <laughs> <laughs> right? Get robo-tripping. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, old school so formula. Now think about this. Now this is kind of cheesy, but think about it like this. 
it's it's pretty damn amazing that you can buy that NyQuil. I mean, could you make NyQuil? Not a chance. No, you couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't make NyQuil. And the fact that... Motivation. It, yeah, That's all fact, you need. <laughs> you have to cough real it. hard. Well, the, the <laughs> is, it's like, oh, no, there's yeah. a YouTube video on this. I'm like, well, yeah, but dude, you'd have to spend way more money to buy all those products to right. make NyQuil. Yeah, get your own dextromethorphan. Right. I can buy... I can buy yeah, you, you might be able to make NyQuil, but you probably can't. The fact that NyQuil exists, the fact that there's a factory somewhere that somebody put something all those chemicals together to put on that shelf that was five dollars and assistance. if you get the western family for version it's three dollars you know what i mean more than just you contributed to your ability to be symptom free for for tonight so you can go to sleep more so, than just you that's great right that's I mean, and if you bring those analogies out i think clients hear that and it's like oh 12 step ain't so bad anymore but the messenger the messenger that you go there they're really kind of preachy sometimes mm-hmm. And that's kind of the equivalent of, uh, well, I went to school with this kid. And he was LDS. He was a real asshole. So I hate all LDS people. I'm like, you're an idiot. Thanks, like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't. Well, even, I mean, this is like a real brief segue. I'm reading this book right now called Tribe. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. How is that? Uh, so far, so good. Yeah. And I mean, it, the one of the points that the author is Sebastian Younger with a J. He, he makes is that. Uh, p- people exist a lot better in collectivistic environments and have less incidence of, uh, you know, mental health problems. And, you know, a lot of the things that we, uh, pride ourselves on in the United States here is individualistic freedoms and which I think is awesome by the way, but, uh, it detaches us from the greater whole and, uh, kind of a lot of that tribe mentality, that tribe mindset kind of having, in other words, a support group, right? That's what we're talking about. Sure, yeah. And that, that can be a higher power as well. You know, there's, so it, like I guess there's multiple ways to pitch this to clients, you know, whether we're talking about a tr- your, your tribe being your higher power or the the not what, how do you put it? Not without assistance. Not without assistance. Um, AA, AA says it too. They say power. Uh, the first step of AA is admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Uh-huh. And they say powerless but not helpless. Right. That's the main thing for them. Not helpless. Yeah. Meaning you can't just uh, give in to this. This is, you can't just fall apart. You're powerless over your addiction and your life has become unmanageable, but you're not helpless. And I struggled with that same exact thing Uh for a long time because I hated AA. I was like, AA is a cop out. All it is is you saying, I have a disease and I can't help it. So it is what it is. So fuck everybody. I'm going to do what I want. On the surface, it appears that way. It appears that way. But as I went and went and went, you start to learn and you start to hear and you start to read the fucking shirts that they're wearing that says (laughs) powerless but not helpless. And I was like, oh, wait, what the fuck is that that they're wearing? That makes so much more sense. It's weird, though, that like because this has some crossover with like mental health, that somehow we don't we don't link that equivalent to physical health. So if right. we have a disease and think about that, if I, if I have a disease, nobody, nobody says, well, I guess I can't do anything. I'll just die. No, you don't. You go to a doctor, you take meds, you do all kinds of stuff and we treat it very differently. And I think, so when you, I think clients normally are really, really responsive to this. If you kind of break it down and, and one of the things that they've kind of talked about um, is how, I've kind of hijacked the the survival mechanism in my brain. You know, so if I think about the the survival parts of my brain, I need food, I need water, I need air, used to need sex, you know, these things that my, the frontal cortex of my brain don't control. These are right. survival mechanisms. I'm going to be compelled to do them no matter what, right? Um, and 
now I've added a new category in there. I've, I've literally, I've, I've modified my brain chemistry by using so much that now drugs have entered into this survival category. So again, it's, it's kind of like, could you just choose to stop breathing and hold your breath until you died? No, because even after you passed out, your body would reinitiate yeah. that. And so this is, you have to take it as seriously as that. Cause now I'm in there, but comparing it to a disease, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that clients love to hear that because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, okay, somebody's finally getting me, but they don't treat it the same way mm-hmm. because judges sometimes and, you know, law enforcement, they're like, no, it's not, it's a choice. Well, compare it to like, um, like I think we just talked 400 billion, right? So you think about the public costs to public costs and taxpayers to, of heart disease. Any idea what that is? Mm-mm. $555 billion per year is what we call public costs, wow. not private insurance costs, public costs. And they said with, the in, with how this is increasing, by 2035, it's going to be $1.1 trillion per for year. Heart disease. Oh, for heart gosh. disease. Now, just look at these two things, heart disease versus substance use disorder. Genetically, predisposition about equal, about 40 to 60%. Really? 40 to 60% no. predetermined. Now, again, that's not a guarantee. I'm not saying if, you know, I'm saying Jeez, that man. you have some that's genetic crazy. markers that predisposition you to have heart disease or any of those things. Okay. So, so far, so good. Genetically, we're on the same, we're on the same level. So, re, so if you think about a relapse, relapse is just a medical term of going back to whatever it is, right? So if I have high blood pressure, I have some angina or whatever, whatever that is. And, and that's a relapse according to my heart disease model. If I'm not taking my medication, I miss that a couple times or something like that. And I have to go back to the doctor. Okay. I've now relapsed on what my treatment plan was. Relapse rates among heart disease patients are equivalent to those of substance use claims. Okay. So relapse rates are equivalent too. So then they say, all right, so what about, um, what about the behaviors? Man, you had to choose to get to, to have a substance use disorder. Okay, that's fine too. But are there behavioral decisions that I can, that I can choose to have a heart disease? Mm-hmm. Like what? Smoking. Uh, yeah, Smoking, eating, diet. eating like crap, Exercise. not exercising, doing the keto diet. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, God. So, Dude, actually, I, so there are... I there count are, how many times that was said. There are, there are <laughs> behavioral decisions Every that I can make. There are all behavioral decisions that I can make that can literally move myself into having a heart disease. Okay, we'll back off that. The, then they go moral. And they say, well, when you get high, it feels so good. So you're getting pleasure out of that. And that's why... How it's not you? a disease. You're mm. getting pleasure out of that. That's it. nobody likes having a heart attack and say, "Okay, we all like right. to shame." Well, As well, a, we like to shame pleasure. Well, here's the thing, though. Not all pleasure. Where did you? Where the? Where the term comfort food come from? Well, I mean, it seems self evident, but do you I not? You have an answer. Do you not experience pleasure eating that shit? Oh yeah, of course you do. So pleasure is the only component that's out of there. So. The, the funny thing is, is the fact that it's criminalized is why we don't treat it like a disease. Because I could make the exact same argument to the community to say, look, 555 billion folks, we got to lock Jimmy up because if we don't lock Jimmy up, he's going to die from this heart attack. It's in his own best interest. We stop him from eating all that shit he's shoveling into his mouth every single day, right? We got to lock him up for his own good. And, and I'm doing exactly the same thing. If I criminalized heart disease and criminalized eating like an asshole, which they kind of do, like New York, they're putting, you know, you only get oh, yeah. so much soda or whatever. They're kind of moving in that direction <laughs> because of how much it's costing. And I criminalized it now. What's the difference between heart disease versus a substance use disorder? Wow. I'm, 
I mean, sure, dopamine output from a mesh shot is probably way higher than than eating a Twinkie, right? There, Obviously. So there, there's no argument then when it comes down to people with heart disease are not stealing from people. They're not raiding houses. They're not. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? So, but, I'm, but what I'm saying is, is the fact that drugs are criminalized, and I'm saying, right. if, if, if you did a, and I'm not saying make them legal, I'm saying decriminalize them. The I element, agree. the element of that now is gone. Right. The element, so the one, the one deciding factor that, in my mind, as a as a client, that would separate this as a disease versus. Um, versus, you know, that this is a behavioral decision is now it's, it's criminalized. And so if right. I engage in this behavior that's criminalized, I'm, I'm not going to treat it like a disease. And think about the language we use. Like you said, discharge, like we use graduations. When do you graduate from heart disease? When do you graduate from having cancer? Do you, I mean, do you not... After you grab, oh yeah, you're cured. You, and like you go on, you, no, you're no, going you to maintain. The you're going to come for every single exercise. checkup. Yeah. You're never going to miss an appointment. The language that we use is insane when it comes to people who have substance use disorders. You graduate. You don't graduate from this disorder. Mm-hmm. We preach to you for three, four, five months at a time that this is a lifelong disorder. Like how long was your ex husband in, in drug court? Two years. Two years. Two years. This is a disorder. It's going to be with you for the rest of your life. You graduated. Like, <laughs> no wonder he went back. I mean, I'm you, sure there's other. I, yeah, you see what I'm saying. Factors, like the we, if we, I say to clients more than anything, I, I love that you hear like hearing this a disease. You need to start treating it like a disease. You need to take this seriously as if it was cancer, as if it was heart disease, uh, or if it was diabetes or whatever. I mean, it's like I graduate from diabetes class, and then I don't need to take <laughs> insulin shots anymore. I mean, get real, dude. Mm. Back to Twinkies. Right. You, I, everybody needs to take it way more seriously. Yeah, they're trying to change the, uh, the verbiage over at Brighton because of that, too. Because of everything you said. Oh, oh yeah. That's golden. The difference You're going to steal that, discharge huh? And You're going to drop what I just it. said on your group. You know what they did? They changed coin pending. out to coin in. What does that mean? Co- they used to coin out, like they'd pass around a coin, you oh. press something into the coin, you say some good words That's for them. That's just gross. That's so germ. <laughs> Think of all the germs. I would deliberately babies. go to the bathroom Come on. and watch my Brighton babies. <laughs> That's a joke. Brighton babies. But they changed it to coin in because you're coining into your next phase of aftercare. Oh, of aftercare. Wow. Little change, Dang. yeah. It's a, it's a, man, that's a wild thing. It's a substance use is a, a crazy because I think we're just it, until we crack that man. We're just, we well, prevention it. is just as crazy too. It's a whole yeah. other. Come world. on now, the, nobody who ever graduated dare ever use drugs. That's true. It, their success dare rates were right awful. around ninety five percent. Dare was yeah. awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Officer Galegos, I mean, he was awesome a, though. Drug boards, a, drug boards were awful. It was more like they were talking crap. They all dare to keep kids off drugs. Like you can't. They're just going to use it anyways. Dude, the <laughs> I funny. I know. That's pretty much what happened. That is weird. Yeah. I mean, the, the, if any of you guys have a chance to anybody listen to this, Google uh, or go on YouTube and do Hot Pursuit Dare video. It's the most awful video. Well, it's really cool and awful at the same time. But I mean, you know what was the best like uh, like introduction to like if I'm just educating a bunch of students was up at Weber State actually. I think you were there. We were it was an orientation. Or no no no, you weren't there. I was with Ames. We went to go see that. And we were and we we're listening to this guy and he starts talking about meth. And the way he was talking about it, he's like he's like uh yeah, you know, when you smoke meth you know, it's highly sexualized. Sex is great. You get a lot of work done. You stay up. And like, he's just rattling off all these good things. And I'm like, 
is this guy going to sell us this? Sounds all right. And then he said, but, you know, and then he said all the bad things that come from it. And the thing that I appreciated about that was. So it's true. (laughs) He gave me everything and then said, it's your choice. Rather, like, dare, I think the approach is, you know, like, I'm not going to educate kids on all the good stuff that come from drugs. I lie to them. I'm not lying to them. Obviously, drugs are bad. I mean, you know. Well, they'd list the symptoms or like the the, the effects that drug give you, but they'd spin it in a negative way. Right. But then I'm. But then. when I see like nauseous like, and dizziness, like, well, maybe that's euphoria and feeling high and great. I yeah, don't but know. dude, if you like, they, they make it seem like, okay, if I smoke this one joint, bro, it's, it's, I, I'm hop, skipping a jump away from laying in a gutter. Yeah, with the a girl that's syringe. flat up yeah. against the couch. That's yeah. right. Deep kind plates. of the, almost a, a glimpse of like that reefer madness stuff. Yeah, and, you, oh, and you'll never yeah. be successful in school. But then I see old Jimmy, I don't know why they're always named Jimmy, but Jimmy, <laughs> who's smoking weed on the weekend and he's, you know, playing football, he's got straight A's. I'm like, liars. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna go smoke some weed with Jimmy. You know what I mean? He's got to figure it out. And the, the weird thing about it is, is most people will just smoke that weed and have fun and never move on. And there's a fraction of people where, yeah, that weed is not going to be enough. So it's kind of that whole gateway drug argument. Not really. Yeah, That's just stupid. Right. I mean, the same thing like with our clients that you watch porn, eventually you're going to be watching child porn. No, you're <laughs> not. That's not what happens. I, I heard somewhere that inhalants are actually closer tied to being a gateway to harder drugs than marijuana is. I I don't think the gateway drug holds any water. I don't think that's true whatsoever. I think what it is, is if I have that genetic component that I'm susceptible to this and I use, I've now... I've now started off this compulsive side of my brain that says, I always want more. Yeah. And eventually it's not going to be enough until I have to start graduating up to different things. And that's that's where it kind of becomes a problem. Opiates are kind of a different thing because that's a whole other freaking podcast, dude. But if you ever there's – a, there's a book called Dreamland about how the opiate crisis came about in America. Have you ever read it? Mm-mm, you need no. to. It is I read heroin fascinating. Diaries. It is fa- it's written by a journalist mm. who kind of, it, it's, it's crazy how that came mm. about. But I mean, it's, that's a wild thing, man. This whole substance use disorder. I mean, we have not mastered it whatsoever. No, not, not one bit. So can we, end on, can I end on a joke? Yeah, I got a joke for it. you. Is it dirty? No. <laughs> I think it's funny. Well, you guys heard the drug board joke? No. Okay, no. so they used to pass out drug boards. You guys know what drug boards are? No. Okay, so like a they Ouija board? No, no, no. It was a board it. with pictures or actual drugs taped to it that they okay. pass around classrooms. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. For I'm prevention purposes, yes. right? Okay. Tell I used to work to look for. Right, right. Yeah. And what it smelled like, what it felt like. I worked in substance abuse prevention before addiction, so <laughs> This guy, cop comes in, he comes in and he's got a drug board. He's got seven joints on it and he passes it around a sixth grade classroom. And they all get to touch it and look at it, smell it and stuff. He gets the board back and there's five. Actual joints. Wow. Actual joints. And there's five. Five left. Okay. He had seven. So two. So he said, okay, I know that I'm missing some. You need to put them back. Right now I'm going to pass the board around. Last chance. Because (laughs) if I don't get them back, I'm going to frisk you all. He passed the board around. When he gets it back, he had nine. (laughs) (laughs) You ever heard that one? Good one, right? right. I actually heard that that was a true story that turned into a joke. So, oh, (laughs) wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, we can wrap this up. Well, I uh, so what 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 do people need to know about like uh, you have websites or what's the Uh, we do have a website. So um, it's just brightonrecoverycenter.com. Um, if you go into Google, you can find us in South Ogden. We also have a location. It's 
a mansion, like a reformed mansion uh-huh. that um, it's not in. A not a monastery. In Cottonwood Poor Heights, mm. in a nice gated area <laughs> with a pool. And then we have um, intensive outpatient, PHP programs, all that kind of stuff. There's a podcast as well that Brighton has oh, okay. called Recovery Soapbox. Oh. So, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> all of that. Excellent. Okay. Yep. Well, we, yeah, on. we really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was fun. You'll have to come back again. All right. Okay. I'll do, we'll it. do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See you, folks. All right, everyone. That does it for episode 13 of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in. We also would like to thank our guest, Caitlin, for coming on the show. We had a lot of fun. Uh, episode 14 coming up here shortly. We are going to have some gentlemen on from Triple S. So they're actually going to come on the show, talk about statistics, numbers, all this stuff, research that goes right over my head. But they're going to put it in a much cooler way and talk about how we use that in the direction of treatment, predictions for treatment. So they will be on in the next episode. In the meantime, make sure you check out social media websites, Facebook, Twitter. I was going to say Miles. I almost said MySpace. I keep doing that. I don't know why. It's been a few years since anyone's been on MySpace. But yeah, all that stuff. Please spread the word. It's Gorilla Social Work Podcast. G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A. Gorilla Social Work. And we will see you on the next episode.